Our scripture reading today comes from Judges chapter 16, verses 23 through 31. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has slain many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may make sport for us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he made sport before them. They made him stand between the pillars... And Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson made sport. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me. I pray thee, and strengthen me. I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be avenged upon the Philistines for one of my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars upon which the house rested, and he leaned his weight upon them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were in it. So the dead, whom he slew at his death, were more than those he had slain during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up, buried him between Zorah and Estol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel. 20 years. The word of the Lord. Sorry, there's just not a lot of, like, cup holders and stuff up here. Um, so this year at House of Mercy, we've decided to eschew the standard lectionary, the program of uh, prescribed weekly scripture text to be used for preaching and worship. Well, perhaps eschew is the wrong word bringing with it connotations of abandon, avoid, forswear, renounce, shun, shy away from, swear off, abjure, duck, elude, evade, and have no truck with. We do not want to communicate any of those negative connotations. We have no problem with the revised common lectionary. As a matter of fact, in House of Mercy's nearly 20 years 
of existence. We have preached through the three-year lectionary cycle like six times. So we certainly don't want to abandon it. No, we don't want to forswear it, shun, shy away from, or swear it off. We would not want anyone ever to think that we would abjure it and truck. We want all kinds of truck with it. Yeah, all kinds of truck. It's just that sometimes we like to write an alternative lectionary as sort of a different way to look at the biblical text uh, with a different lens, interpret it through some kind of particular lens. I mean, we, had, we did a whole year, an economy lectionary we made, where we preached all through the Bible, looking at texts having to do with the economy. We did a one about, uh, like, corporate violence, the corporate violence lectionary. That was fun. Um, we called it confessional resistance. And uh, this year, we have created an alternative lectionary with the very uncatchy title of Telling Children's Bible Stories to Adults so we can reconsider that. The interpretive tradition of reframing biblical narratives for children has perpetuated some of American Protestantism's worst theological impulse, like emphasizing Noah collecting all these cute animals two by two alongside of God then killing everyone else because we are evil, for example. Well, that can plant some messed up concepts of the creator in the little one's uh, subconsciousness. But the conviction to teach children the basic stories of our holy book is a strength of our people. But sometimes it's baffling, sometimes terrifying, these implications of these paraphrases, and they can leave a mark. So this liturgical, liturgical year, as many of you know, we have been preaching on the biblical texts that are most used as children's stories in the Bible, from Genesis through Revelation. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, really, most times, this, this approach has been fresh. A fresh, interesting way to encounter these texts. A new way. Fun, even. It's been fun. But sometimes, there are these stories that just lead me into a morass. Can you tell I was working hard on that uh, thesaurus today? Um, no, some things I just don't want to deal with. Like... There's always, like, in, like today, there's just so many issues that I would feel obliged to explain or to contextualize or, or apologize for. And, like, today's story is, like, there's, like, almost no fun or funny bits at all. Oh, and also uh, chances for insight into the miraculous, radical mercy of God. But one must preach. Well, I guess one must not, but I must so I decided, in an attempt to bring back the fun in this story that doesn't seem to contain much of it, and I don't know if I'm able to bring back the insights into the miraculous, radical mercy of God, but I thought just to spice up, we'll make it a little bit whimsical, if you will, and so I wouldn't have to really think too bad about the parts that I didn't want to. I thought that I would write the various topics that I normally would explore, the issues, the subjects, the beats or the points, I would, these I would normally weave into a narrative structure that builds to an unexpected epiphany 
But today, I will just write them randomly on index cards and shuffle them and then just draw one out and say a little bit about each one. So on with the fun. So I will take these cards and I will just shuffle them randomly, as it were. Oh, I probably wouldn't want to talk about that one anyway. <laughs> um, and I will just uh, draw one at random and I will talk about it. Gaza. I don't really like to talk about this one. It's not a very good place to start. I mean, at the beginning of the story, if you read Sam's whole story, like in chapter 16, it starts out, once Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute and went into her, and the Gazaites were told, Samson has come here, so they circled around him, tried to kill him, but he ended up killing everybody, all these thousands of people in Gaza. I'm, just, I'm not going to, I'm going to all elaborate on that later. I'm going to put it back in the stack. <laughs> Hercules slash Paul Bunyan. That seems better, right? Hercules slash Paul Bunyan. So, Hercules and Samson have a lot in common. They're just, they seem very similar to each other. Um, a lot of scholars think that these are, you know, they share the same roots that these, these myths because, uh, you know, Samson was given supernatural strength by God in order to, like, fight off the enemies of his people. And he performs all these heroic feats he does. He's like, uh, such as he kills a lion with his bare hands. Both Hercules and Samson do this. And, uh, like, they both slay an entire army with a blunt object. Hercules has, like, a club. Samson uses the jawbone of an ass. Don't worry, I'm not going to continue on that again. Um, and um, they both uh, are betrayed by a woman. Then they end up bringing about their own deaths. So, um, really, when you read this whole story, it is uh, crazy all these feats that he does, and he does seem very much like a mythical character. He seems like Paul Bunyan a little bit. Uh, the rabbis say that his shoulders were 60 cubits wide, one Midrash does. And then another wish Midrash counters that um, he would not be able to su survive a normal society with shoulders that big, which I don't... Does he not know what tall tales are like, you know? So, um, yeah, that's that one. I think that's it, yeah. Oh, um, another interesting thing. You know, you always uh, got to look in the Google. Is that what you call it? No, the Wikipedia. And because uh, a lot of times you, you find just good, solid information on anything, even like uh, biblical stories. Um, but this whole story is so weird and so messed up that even the Wikipedia entry seems a little bit tainted. I mean, it starts out that saying, talking about Samson and saying that uh, he had two vulnerabilities that were his downturn. His attraction to untrustworthy women and his hair. 
You know, I know that one, right? Don't you? I mean, what is that all about? Untrustworthy woman and his hair? Um, you know what? Since I'm just randomly pulling these things out, I should maybe recap the story a little bit. So I'm going to find the recap story card. Okay. I'm going to recap this story for you. So Samson is a special baby. Um, like you've probably read this many times in the scriptures, uh, an angel of the Lord comes to Samson's mom, even though she was barren, and says, you know, you are going to have a son, and he's going to be special, and so you can't uh, drink alcohol or eat these certain kind of foods, and uh, you're going to have the son, and your son will be dedicated to God, and he will be a Nazarite, which means dedicated to God, and you won't cut his hair, and you won't let him drink, he won't drink alcohol, he won't eat certain foods, but he will be blessed by God to have this great strength, he'll be the strongest man in the world, and he will save Israelite from the Philistines. So he's born, then he grows up, and uh, then he does all these crazy things, like I mentioned, he kills a lion with his bare hands, which is, I don't know, something you do if you're special demi-god sort of creature, and um, then he comes up with this riddle that I don't remember why it's important, but it has something to do with bees and honey, and he gets mad or something, and um, like, and then, oh, then a lot of people die. Um, and then there's like, one time he tied the tails of 300 foxes together, which visually that doesn't work for me. But um, then he sets them all on fire, and they run into the Philistines' fields, and they all catch on fire, and he burns all their fields down, and a lot of people die. Then there's the job out of the ass thing. He kills a thousand Philistines with that, and he's got this weird relationship with Delilah. There's, we'll get into it's like a lot of tying him up and stuff. Eventually, they, um, they cut his hair because that's where his strength goes out, and then they gouge out his eyes, which is another, I think, tip of the hat to the Greeks. And um, then they have this showdown in the temple. Okay, so what happens is he has this great strength that he can nobody can stop him. And uh, he somehow falls in love with this Delilah, who is not Hebrew. And the Philistines go to her and say, look, we'll give you like $5,000 if you can find out what makes this dude so strong. And so she goes to him, she makes him dinner, and she's like, uh, hey, uh, just for fun, let's talk. What makes you so strong? And he says, well, I just, God made me this way so I can smote and smite those Philistines, but I'll tell you what, if anybody were to tie me up with bowstrings that are still wet, all my strength would be gone. And so she's like, just off the top of my head, you know what might be fun? She ties him up, well, I don't know why he lets her. Uh, he ties, she ties him up with these bowstrings, and then she yells, Philistines, here he is, come get him. And they rush in, and he was like, just kidding, and he breaks them all off, and he kills a lot of them. So the Philistines are mad, they're like, we're not gonna give you $5,000 for that, just come on, ask him. So she's like, okay, I'll try again. And um, so she's like, makes him dinner again, and they're just hanging out, and she's like, hey, I just have a question. Why don't you, since you say you love me, why don't you just tell me what makes you so strong? 
And he's like, well, God just made me that way so I can smote and smite those Philistines. But I'll tell you what, if anybody were ever to braid my hair into these seven strands, I would be weak. I couldn't do anything. And so she's like, oh. You know what would be fun? What if I braided your hair? And he's like, all right. Braids it into the seven strands, and I guess he kind of falls asleep, and she yells out, hey, Philistines, I got him. And they rush in, and he's like, just kidding. And he killed a lot of them. So, but then he's like, um, she's like really upset with him, but she's trying to play it cool. She didn't get her $5,000. I don't know why she wants this $5,000 so much. Supposedly they loved each other, but I don't know. All relationships are different, and they're complicated. I understand that. Um, but uh, she says to him, look, if you really love me, come on. You've lied to me twice. What makes you so strong? And he's like, well, naturally God made me strong, but I'll tell you what. Okay, I'll tell you the truth. I'm a Nazarite. I have never cut my hair once. First of all, how do you not notice that? And secondly, I never thought of it before, but that's like got to be like dreadlocks, don't you think? I mean, they're not, he's not combing it and stuff, right? I, never, I like that look. But anyway... If she says, if somebody were to cut my hair, shave my head, I would have no strength at all. I couldn't, I'd be like, I'd be like super weak. So she's like, hey, why don't you lay your head on my lap? Maybe I'll rub your head a little bit, sing you a little song. He falls asleep in her lap. She shaves his hair off and says, hey, Philistines, come in. And they come rushing in, and he wakes up, and he just, like, can't barely even lift his arms. He's super weak, it's true. And they grab him, and they, for some reason, gouge his eyes out, and they haul him away. And they put him in prison. And in Gaza. They put him in prison in Gaza, this prison in Gaza, and then there's this temple there to Dagon, their mermaid fish-like god. Um, and for some reason they decide, he's so weak, wouldn't it be funny to bring him out and perform for all of us at the temple? Well, he's been in that prison for a little while, and I don't know the thing, maybe, how could they not understand this? Hair grows back. So his hair's been growing quite a bit. And they take him there, and they bring him to perform. I don't know what he's doing. Um, and... He gets this idea, and he says, because uh, he's blind, to this boy, put me between the two main pillars. So the boy says, all right. And then he cries out, God, let me avenge the eye, uh, get revenge for the eyes they've taken from me. You'd think this is where he's finally going to get right with God, and he's going to, like, you know, want to do this for his people or for Israel, who he's their judge, but no, he wants to get back at him for the eyes. And he takes and he then grabs his pills and he like pushes them out and then he screams, let me die with the Philistines, and then smashes the temple down and all these people die and it falls on him and he dies and he wipes out the Philistines, I guess, fulfilling the call that God had given him at the beginning of his life, although maybe not for good motivation. 
This is crazy. How did Mel Gibson not make a movie about this? Oh, maybe a little too pro-Hebrew. Um, how about, like, Russell Crowe, at least, would do it? I think Russell Crowe could easily do it. So, that's the recap. Gaza. I'm going to put that back in. Okay. Children's Bible story, morals. Okay, this is great. Okay. Um, there's, I always like to read a lot of different children's stories. Are you interested? Um, I read one called Samson, God's Strong Man, from Bible for Children by Edward Hughes. I mean, this is a typical story. It goes through the whole thing. You've heard it already before, but um, it, this is how it ends. The climactic scene with these great words, it said, with this great picture of Samson between the pillars and like, like this, and the text said, would God give Samson his strength back again, question mark? Could Samson be, do the impossible, question mark? Yes, exclamation mark. Yes, exclamation mark. Yes, exclamation mark. Straining and heaving, Samson forced the mighty pillars apart. Dagon's temple crashed to ruins, killing thousands of Philistines. Dash, dash, and Samson! Exclamation point. And on the next page, there's a giant red heart with the words, the end, in it. And then the final page is the moral. It says, this Bible story tells us about how wonderful God has made us and how God wants us to know him. God knows you have done bad things, which God calls sin. The punishment of sin is death. God loves us so much. He sent his son. And you think you know how it goes. Would you like to pray? And remember, God's watching. I kind of get the impression that this is just like a generic moral they put on the end of every Bible story, no matter what happens, no matter, yeah, what it is. They just say, well, this story reminds us of how wonderful our God is. And as you know, God knows how bad you are. But then there's another one I thought was a little better called Samson and Delilah by Sharla Gunther. And story, same thing, this focuses more on the end part, but the moral of this, focusing on how God came, sent an angel to the mother, and, and how Samson was called especially to be this special baby that would save Israel, this moral says from Sharla Gunther, God made us for a reason too, as well as Samson. He made each of you exactly how he wanted. And remember, God does not make mistakes. You have the family you do because that's who God wanted you to be with. You live where you live because that's where God put you. Your life might not be perfect, but he wants you to learn and grow with what you have. Is that true? Is that like some, that's some, like some basic folk theology, but is it like true? 
Did God make each of us exactly how we wanted and put us exactly where we're supposed to be? I mean, even if we think intellectually that can't be true because, you know, we certainly know that uh, God, if it's all God doing it, God's made some mistakes. I mean, I'm just speaking personally. I don't know. Even if we don't believe it's true, do we operate as if it's true that this is where we're put, that God made us this way, that every situation we're in, that's just we don't have any choice. God wants us to just deal with it. I don't know. I want to um, find this other card just to follow this because I think this is kind of like, this seems like a really important point here. Did God make you exactly how God wanted you to be? I mean, if God made each of us for a reason, like God made Samson, I mean, if God put us exactly where God wanted us to be, if God gave us the exact families we want to, God likes some people way better than others. It seems like it. I mean, I'm a white man born in the United States of America in the 20th century. I mean, God either likes me a lot or not as much as some other people. No, I feel, I feel completely privileged here. Um, but if you think about it, like, God made you exactly who God wanted you to be. You know what? I want that to be true. God put me in the exact family God wanted me to be in. I want that to be true. God, I was born for a reason. To do something. That's why God made me. I want that to be true. I mean, and when it comes to, like, my children, I want my children to be born into my family because that's where God wants them to be. I don't want it to be like some kind of random thing. And look at it this way. Okay, so let's say that's not true, which, you know, you can't really argue for it to be, I don't know, you can't, you, we just can't believe that God put some people in horrible, horrible situations where they suffer and you know, other people not. We can't. But really, what is the alternative to that? To say things are like, everything's sort of random. God doesn't really get involved in those kind of decisions. I mean, and that I'm just like randomly, I'm lucky. Or that I dodged a bullet, which I probably shouldn't say in deference with all the people that God put in situations where they live their lives dodging bullets. So if God doesn't do all that, then like, what do you have, Right? I mean, can you still have this loving God who just, like, is more of, like, a generalist? Doesn't really get involved with the people and who they're with and everything like that. You're just, like, there? It makes you feel bad, too, when you see other people suffering and you think, well, God, if you did this to me, it makes you, like, for me, like, judge God more. Like, even, I've been given this, why these other people? It's just kind of like something that you can't figure out or that you like, we believe this because things are good for us. I don't know. I don't want to do that one. 
This is about the whole history of judges and what they are, and I don't it's hot. I'm not going to do that. Okay, I should say this. Like, okay, who looks good in this story? Does, I mean, who's the hero of this story? Is it um, Samson? No. He doesn't, he just doesn't fulfill his vows to God. He, uh, you know, he just, all through the book, you read it, he, he parties, he drinks, he, uh, you know, eats raisins, which is one of the things he wasn't supposed to do, I don't know. Um, and uh, he, uh, yeah, he goes, he was, seriously, he's married three times in just very short few chapters. And uh, then in the end, he just gives away his, uh, his secret and he ends up killing all these Philistines just because he wants revenge because they poked his eyes out. That doesn't seem very heroic. Delilah, what's with her? And then the f God doesn't look very good in this either because how weird to set this whole thing up. And how weird to choose some people to be winners and losers. And The Philistines, they're, they look bad, but they're supposed to look bad, right? They're the enemies in here, you know? I want to die with the Philistines. They're the enemy, right? I guess. Kills a lot. No one looks good in this story. Freaking Gaza. So the story starts out, it takes place in Gaza. They keep seeing Gaza all over and over again. So of course I gotta look up Gaza and I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to read this story about uh, the leader of the Israel going and God choosing him to be the one that kills all the people in Gaza. And then I just like find, I looked, I, could just, I clicked on this thing, children of Gaza and images of children in Gaza. And I mean, it's just like, it's, it's just suffering beyond what you can even take to look at these children who've been blown up and just missing limbs and their parents grieving and carrying them blood and crying and buildings falling down on all the people, crushing them. Doesn't seem like a good children's story is all I'm saying. Special baby. He's a special baby, this kid. God anoints him to be a special baby, uh, to grow up to be a Nazarene, and he's going to save all his people. And, uh, you know, he doesn't become this great person that, that uh, God called him to be and wanted him to be and that his parents knew he would be. I mean, because it's like, you know, sometimes if you just, like, he had crippling expectations, okay? He couldn't deal with it. So maybe if he would have followed, been stronger, been another kind of person or whatever, he could have followed through and this could, wouldn't have been such a bad story. But no, he, had to, he couldn't deal with these expectations that the creator of the world had for him that he was going to do these things. So he drank a lot. He got messed up with people he shouldn't have. I mean, the one thing he did was that hair thing. Finally, he gave up on that too. Sometimes people, they want to do what's right, but they just don't have the, like, strength or something, or they just don't have the character. Who knows? 
Is that how God wanted him to be? Like that? Torture. All right, I'll finish up here. What do I got here? That's it. Um, let me just say this. Okay, well, I'll do, I'll do this one last and then I'll keep it. There's this thing in international politics and policy called the Samson Option. The Samson Option is basically this theory that... Uh, Israel has a nuclear weapon and that uh, that if they feel too threatened or if you actually literally if they attack them and they are under attack that Israel would rather take everybody out with their nuclear weapon than suffer that kind of loss for themselves or that they might inadvertently by responding or attacking trigger World War III which will annihilate everyone. This is called the Samson option. You know, because he brought the thing down on himself. <laughs> There's a lot in this story that's really messed up. What does it mean to say that God made you just the way you are. That God put you here at this time in history because God wanted to make you your special you. And God, you are that special you because that's what God intended. And to put you in the family that you're in. I mean, even if uh, it's not the greatest environment. But that God put you in this place not somewhere else where you might have buildings fall down on you and be destroyed, but that God put you in this place because this is how God wants it for you. I mean, this is not the kind of story that you're going to tell in Gaza. This is not the kind of story that you're going to tell where people are suffering. This is the kind of children's story you're going to tell to children who are things are pretty good for, to say that God has a special plan for you and put you here. And then I got to go and try and tell you about it. You know, we've been doing this thing on these children's Bible stories, and they all end, like I've said, with these morals. There's a moral at the end of it. And for some reason, um, I have tended to end these sermons myself. I move towards coming up with a, like, concrete conclusion about the story, which is something I never like to do about anything. I don't like concrete conclusions. I like uh, more like confusion, more like tension. But there's something about these stories that lead me to come up with a conclusion, which makes me a little bit mad because I think that's what these Bible stories want me to do. But actually it's not, it's not the same thing because I move to make pronouncements based on, well, I guess faith, you know what? Because none of these stories make any sense intellectually to me or philosophically. I, like, I, it, these stories move me to the, I'm going to say it. it, these stories renew my faith. Looking into these stories, I find myself saying, this is all some weird, crazy stuff, but I, these, this is the faith of my people, and 
There's something about this weird struggle about God trying to have a relationship with God's creation, no matter what we write about it, that is like, it, I don't know, it, I find myself responding in faith. And you know what? These children's Bible stories, they don't move people towards faith. They move in the opposite direction. These children's Bible stories, they move towards law. They move towards morals. They move towards some kind of calculus. At the end, they say, given all that story, um, you're bad. God knows it. Do this. Believe this. And God will uh, continue loving you. But for me, I read these stories and I move towards faith. I mean, I can't make sense of all this or why this is, but I just found myself saying, you know what? I believe that there is a benevolent creator. I believe that there is a benevolent reconciler. I believe that there is a benevolent presence of God. I can't reason my way there. I can't read this text straightforward and find my way there. I mean, just this idea that my babies are safe and healthy. And somebody else's babies suffer and die. That's something I can't figure out. That is some mystery that will push you one way or the other. It's the mystery that brings you to the place where Kierkegaard says the only choice is to jump. And in spite of all the craziness, I just straight up believe it. I jump. 